If you have your Bible, you can turn in the, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And if you don't have your Bible on, on your sermon outline, you'll see the text of Scripture for this morning there, and you can follow along. You can take notes if you like. And uh, we will explore the theme verse of Vacation Bible School this week. You remember the context in John 14. Jesus says to His disciples, He's going away to prepare a place for them, and they are unsettled. It's been a pretty good ride so far. They've seen Jesus feed the 5,000, taking a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread, and feed the multitudes. They have seen Him heal the sick. They have seen Him raise the dead, and they have seen the, cr the crowds gather and, and uh, cry out that they want Jesus to be king, and at last, perhaps He'll throw off the yoke of the Romans, and Israel will live in peace. And then this last week, Jesus upsets them, and He starts to say things like, He must be captured, and He must be killed and they are unsettled, and he says he's going away. And finally, Thomas can't take it anymore, and he blurts out. Uh, he's so upset, and he blurts out, Lord, how do we know where you're going? Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says these words that were scrambled, and the children did a good job. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so this week, our children were introduced to someone. Kids, who was this? Who did, who did we see this week? This, who's this? This is Dr. Cool, right? Dr. Cool, and man, he is the quintessential California dude. He was so cool, like totally awesome, dude. And every day, Dr. Cool had a lesson for us, and he told us and took us on this boat ride where he was going to see where the sea turtles migrated to, and off he went in his speedboat out into the Pacific Ocean, obviously the Pacific Ocean, and, and he headed out and out and out. He went talking as he went, and suddenly the shoreline disappears over the horizon, and suddenly Dr. Cool doesn't know where he is. And suddenly Dr. Cool says, like, dude, I am totally freaking out. Like, this is totally awful. Dude. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't see the island. He didn't see the shore. He wasn't sure where he is, and he says, I am freaking out. How does he know the way? And then he got what uh, Ben Lee, you remember one of our elders, Ben Lee, said, saved his marriage. He got a GPS. Ben said it. He said, it saved my marriage, and I understand that could be true. Um, please drive to highlighted route, it says. And, and he found his way where he was going. He learned the way to get to his destination. And Dr. Cool was so relieved. 
Being lost is terrible. Have you ever been lost? Yourself experienced that feeling? You thought you knew where you were going. You were pretty confident as you drove along, and suddenly, suddenly, something looks different than what you expected. And that sense of dismay (laughs) creeps in. And I don't know where I am. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? I'm glad I have a GPS. What do I have for this life? The answer is, I have Jesus. And so I ask you this morning the question, the first question that is in the bulletin. Do you ever feel spiritually lost? If you do, Jesus says clearly and explicitly, I am the way. Now, we see people, and they look like they have it all together, especially here on the north shore of Long Island. What is the the number one rule from the television commercial? Never let them see you sweat. That's right. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you. But people can look like they have it all together, like they're on top of the world, and inside they are lost. I, I, I will never forget watching ESPN, watching Mike Tyson after he got out of jail. Just not many months before, the man had a net worth of $300 million. He was uh, unstoppable in the boxing ring. He was surrounded by people who adored him. He had it all together as he plunged forward through life. And now on ESPN, he says, I am lost. I am I am a little child who's been abused and robbed by lawyers. I have nothing. I I don't know who I am or where I'm going. Wow. People can look on the outside like they have it all together, but they are lost. Let me tell you where this sense of displacement comes spiritually. Where does... What what happens to us where we feel lost? Well, we're going to talk theology for a moment. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. Because you see, Jesus has said, I'm going to go to the Father to prepare a place for you. Where is that? That's heaven. Of course, that's paradise. He's going to get His people to paradise. But the problem is we're not in paradise. What did Joni Mitchell wrote for... um, uh, who, Who was it who sang... Um, we are stardust, we are golden, we've got to get back to the garden. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, that song Woodstock, we've got to get back to the garden. What were they talking about? Back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, they're in paradise with God, living in sweet communion and fellowship in a perfect world with God. And there is that echo now that Joni Mitchell was writing about. We are stardust. We are golden. We've got to get back to the garden. That echo is in every human soul. It's that desire for paradise again. Jesus says, I am the way that will return you to paradise. But there's a problem. The problem is that God Almighty is infinitely holy. He is pure. He is light. In Him there is no darkness. There is no evil. There is no sin in God. And He pulls back where there is sin, or He expels sin. And you know the story from Sunday school. 
what happened to Adam and Eve, and they were evicted from the Garden of Eden and cut off from God. Well, okay, fine. Couldn't he just walk right back into the garden? You remember what happened? Could he just walk right back in? Joni Mitchell says we've got to get back to the garden. Does she just need a GPS? No, there's a big problem. And what is that problem? Standing at the entrance on the east side of Eden there is an angel with a flaming sword barring re-entry to sinners. And they cannot come back to the garden. They can't get back to the garden. They, there is no... Well, well, wait a minute, Didn't, couldn't Adam sneak in under the fence? No, he couldn't. Could he be a ninja and run and jump and flip over top of the angel and land on his feet inside? No, he couldn't. But Jesus says, I am the way. And Psalm 16, this beautiful verse in Psalm 16, uh, verse 11 the psalmist is saying, you will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Somehow, some way, in the Old Testament, they knew that God was going to show them the path of life and get them back to those eternal pleasures at His right hand. And now Jesus says, I came to do that. I am the way, the way back to the garden. I love this little painting. Here you are on the path. And now Jesus says, you follow me, you come to me. You, the same Jesus said, I am the door, I am the gate. He says, you come with me and I will get you back to the garden. So Jesus had pity on us. Jesus loved us. He left heaven. And how did he do it? How did he open the, the door to paradise again? Did he sneak in the back way? No, he did not. Did Jesus say, well, you know, I am the Son of God, Mr. Angel. I am the second person of the Trinity, and I command you to extinguish your flaming sword. He would not do that. That would make a mockery of God's holiness and God's law. So what did He do? Jesus took on flesh, human flesh. He became man, born of the Virgin Mary. And He came into this world, and then it says He became sin for us. And then he placed himself before that flaming sword and on the cross, as it were, that sword of judgment, that sword of justice fell on him. And the mercy of God was shown to me and to you as that sword fell on Jesus. And so now, so now it does not fall on you who belong to him. We have died in Christ and we have been raised with Christ, it says. So the guiltiest sinner or the lostest person, the most confused person, the vilest, the old hymn writer says, the vilest person who turns and embraces Jesus is on that pathway because Jesus is the way. The sword is dropped. Are you at that place? Have you, have you come to Jesus? Don't wait. Don't put it off. No need to put it off. He says, I'm the way. Come to me. Believe in me. Now, the second question is, has to do with the issue of truth. And so we ask the question, if you ever feel spiritually confused, do you ever feel ignorant, do you ever feel uh, unsure, 
Jesus says it here, I am the truth. First he says, I'm the way. Then he says, I am the truth. And in a few uh, hours, Jesus Christ is going to stand in front of Pontius Pilate. And remember that interrogation with Pontius Pilate? And Jesus mentions the truth, and Pontius Pilate asks Jesus a question in his interrogation. Do you remember what he asked? Right. He said, what is truth? And we don't know exactly his vocal inflection. We don't know exactly how he said it. Maybe he said, like the Greek philosopher, what is truth? But I doubt it. I suspect he he was cynical. What is truth? But Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. Do you want to know the truth? Can you handle the truth? Who, asked, who, who spoke to that question? Jack Nicholson, right, in, in A Few Good Men. What does he say He's in, his, in his gnarly, raspy voice? You want the truth? You can handle the truth, he says. And what Jack Nicholson means is not that he can't, Tom Cruise can't handle the truth, it's that Tom Cruise doesn't want to know the truth. Do people want to know the truth? That's really a, a pretty important question. I remember not long after I moved here, some of you heard this story, I I was at a party um, over in Oyster Bay Cove, and I'm standing under this gorgeous copper beech tree talking with someone, and up walks a man with a double helix on his tie. And my hostess said, uh, Dr. Yenchko, I want you to meet Dr. James Watson, Nobel Prize winner in biology. He discovered DNA. And she says, Dr. Watson, this is a new pastor in town. Now, I knew James Watson. I've seen him on the Charlie Rose show. Dr. Watson is a, an announced atheist, and he has scorn for religion. And I get announced as the new pastor, and he rolls his eyes like that's all we need in this community anymore, right? Um, and so they, they start talking about tennis, and they start talking about their tennis lessons at their club, and suddenly he turns to me, and he says, morality. We at the labs believe that there is a seed of morality in the DNA of the human system, and we want to discover where that is found, where that is located, he says, because I believe all men are interested in the truth and want to know the truth. And the lady standing there says, oh, Jim, I don't love the truth. He looks at her, and she says, I only like it when it's convenient for me, otherwise I exaggerate. Otherwise, I'll shape the story to my own advantage. He says, oh, well, well you, you might tell a little white liar, but you, you surely love the truth. And she says, ah, I don't know. So then he says, compassion. No, oh, so then I, said, I turned to him and I said, well, you know, Dr. Watson, if I could be so bold, it just might be that both you and, I won't say her name, you and she have seen the situation as it is. You've observed that people do, are interested in the truth, and that's because... All people are made in the image of God, and God is truth, and Jesus said, I am the truth. But she's right because the Bible also teaches that human beings are corrupted, and all men are liars, the Bible says, in a very unflattering expression of the world around us. You both have seen the facts as they are, but the explanation is not biological. The explanation is theological. And he says, well... Compassion. We at the labs believe there's a seed of compassion in the human genome, and 
and uh, we want to find out where that is. And, and the ladies, we're like wrestling tag team partners. And she tags in and she says, oh, Jim, I'm not compassionate. He says, oh, well, you're a very generous philanthropist. She says, it's no sacrifice at all for me to give away money. And I said, Dr. Watson, if I could be so bold, could it be that you've both seen the situation accurately as it is, but the explanation is not biological, it's theological, that all people are made in the image of God, and God announced in Exodus 33 His own name, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate one, and all people are made in the image of God, and so there is a seed of compassion in every human soul, but... She is right. All people are corrupted and now selfish and self-centered, so much so that even a mother can abandon her child given the right pressure and circumstances. And he goes, we at the labs <laughs> need to hire a bioethicist to sort all this out. And he turns and walks away. And she said, I, I, you know, nobody's ever, she said, nobody's ever spoken to him like that. But you see, friends, can you handle the truth? It's a, that's really the prior question. Do you want the truth? I remember before I was a Christian, I, I studied philosophy and theology, and I, you know, but once I started to be persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah, I once asked myself audibly in my bedroom, an 18-year-old young man, I asked if you are persuaded that Jesus is who He says He is and did what He said He came to do, would you surrender your life to Him as one who is truly seeking to know the truth? And I answered myself audibly. I said, no. Why did I say no? I said no because I knew that if I did embrace Christ, then I could no longer be the captain of my soul and the master of my fate, which is what... I wanted more than anything else in the world. But I'll tell you what happened to me. I trembled for three days, truly. I was shaking for three days. And the reason I was shaking because, was because God was showing me that I was a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite. Because with my left hand, I was saying, I want to know the truth. Oh, I'm reading the existentialist writers, and I'm reading philosophers. Oh, I want to know the truth. And with my right hand, I'm saying, but if I discover that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, thanks but no thanks. I was a hypocrite. Until God showed me His holiness, what I described in the garden, until God showed me, as it were, that flaming sword God showed me that I was like Adam, expelled from paradise in desperate need of a Savior, and then I was quick to get on my knees. And maybe that's been your story, too. I pray that it has been, and if it's not, I pray it, it will be. You seek Him, but you seek Him with integrity. Jesus says, I am the truth. If you take away Jesus Christ, you lose the keystone of truth. How did, how did they build bridges in the ancient world? Some of you engineers studied this. And you know how they took those massive stones and they built them with a scaffolding into an arch. But right in the center, right in the center, was the keystone that fit in there. And the downward pressure on the keystone and the sideways pressure from the other stones held the bridge inexorably, firmly, 
right in place. You take out the keystone, and what happens to the bridge? It crumbles and tumbles. Oh, the bricks are still there. The blocks are still there. But now there is no coherence. There is no order to them. And Paul writes in Colossians 2, verse 2, in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How can I get you to see this? Listen, you're sitting there and somebody's saying, wait a minute, John. I know truth. I know that two plus two equals four. I know truth. And I don't need Jesus to know the truth, right? Maybe someone says that. Let me tell you something about two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four because Jesus Christ created the universe, and He is a God of order. He is a God who created and holds all things together by His Word, and He set the laws of physics in place, and He set the the wonders of mathematics in place. And so, two plus two equals four because Jesus Christ is Lord. You have a little old lady over here, never graduated from high school, and you have an astrophysicist over here with a Ph.D. in astronomy, and he is studying the star Alpha Centauri, and he has calculated meticulously how fast it is going away from our solar system, and he can tell you the size and density of the, of the exploding hydrogen within the star itself, and do the calculations. And he says, and it's all just a bunch of atoms bumping into each other, what the atheist Bertrand Russell called the mere co-location of atoms. That's all it is. And over here is a little old lady, and she looks up at the stars at night, and she fixes on that one. She doesn't know it's Alpha Centauri, but she fixes on it, and she says, wow, God is glorious. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, who who understands the truth there, you see? She does. She does. All his calculations leading him to conclude that it's all one big cosmic accident of nothingness, and we're just bobbing along in a universe of dust. Who understands the truth? This is why Jesus says, I am the truth. He is that cornerstone. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, you see. He's the cornerstone. There are so many voices. What are the voices you listen to to find truth? There are millions of people today who took out their, their newspaper and they checked their horoscope. And in my horoscope, I learn about my life. Millions of people. Millions of people turn to Oprah or Dr. Phil. That's my source for wisdom. Where's your source? They listen to Lady Gaga, who Lady Gaga has just been determined to be the most influential woman in the Western world. That's amazing. They're talking about influence, not riches, just influential. Tim Keller used to say, he used to say, you know, if you could... If you, want to have, if you want to make a difference in the world and you had to choose between running the government or writing the songs that the culture sings, which would you choose if you wanted to have an impact? 
President of the United States or the, so the number one songwriter? He says, give me the songwriter because the, it's the songs that shape the heart and the culture and teach people how to be. Where, what songs do you listen to? Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. And then there's a third thing he says. He says, I am the life. And that answers this question. Do you ever feel dead or like you're dying, like you're withering spiritually inside? If you do, and you do, and I do, Jesus says, I am the life. And what's going on? Once again, how do we understand this? The answer, Dr. Watson, is theological. Back in Romans 3, verse 23, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? And then in Romans 6, 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. You see? So what is the problem? The problem is death spiritual death. But you know how Romans 6.23 ends? I love this verse. It's worth memorizing. He says, for the, he says um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if the problem is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and he has this echo. Jesus said, I am the life. And at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he should die, yet shall he live. And then he says to Martha, what does he say? Do you believe this? And that's my question for you today. Do you believe this? And it's not just eternal life, you know, at the end of that long pathway. What is the life? The life is here and now. A life free from guilt, free from shame, free from despair, free from fear. A life that is lifted, that is life that brings you out of depression and anxiety and into a life of hope and love and faith. This taught, we're taught this so powerfully in the book of Ezekiel. Do you know the story when God tells Ezekiel to preach to a congregation? And who was the congregation he was told to preach to? In the desert. Dry bones, right. Remember those dry bones in the desert? This uh, is a famous etching by Gustave Doré. I love this. This captures Ezekiel standing down over the skeletons, and he's preaching to them. He's declaring the word of the Lord because God has said, can these dry bones live? And he says, you, you know, you know. He says, preach to them. And so he, he just starts giving the Bible, giving God's word to them. And what happens? They come alive. You see them rising up. Now, it's not a very, it's not a pretty picture, but it's a striking picture, isn't it? The skeletons, the dry bones, the dead are raised and brought to life by just the, the speaking and preaching of the Word of God. So we learn to say, this is the, the, this is the point, we learn to say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life 
I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear that word, life lived, life lived, life lived? In Christ, in union with Christ, we live. Is Jesus your way? Can you say, Jesus is my way, my truth, my life? Do you know someone who is struggling spiritually, who feels uncertain or ignorant or just is wondering about spiritual truth? Jesus is the truth. Do you know someone who seems lost? Who can you tell? He is the way. Is there somebody who's just withering and dying? Who can you tell them that Jesus is the life? You know, in VBS this week, Martin and Elias had the fifth graders, 21 fifth graders. How would you like to be with 21 fifth graders for 15 exciting hours? And here's what Martin taught them. He said, it's not knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Martin. Thank you, Elias. Thank you on behalf of the parents of fifth and sixth graders to make this clear to them. It's not just getting the idea in your head. It's moving into that relationship where he says and she says, he is my way, my truth, and my life. Oh, let them come. Let them come to the Father. There's the little boy walking with his grandfather, and the grandfather says to the kid, son, do you know where we are? He says, no, no, I don't. He says, well, boy, do you know how far away from home you are? boy says, no, no, I don't. And the grandfather says to him, well, it looks to me like you're lost. And the little boy says, oh, Grandpa, I'm not lost. I'm with you. And he was right. Who are you with? With Jesus, my way, my truth, my life. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord. We are grateful for him. And we thank you that when it comes to spiritual things, you are better than any GPS unit. We pray, Lord, you put inside of us that gift of faith, that humility to receive. I pray for anyone here who right now has been touched and encouraged to faith, that you would just give them that release to put themselves in your arms, to take that step on the way, to see the keystone of truth, to feel and to know and understand you are the life. And who is it that we know, Lord, a, a parent or a relative or a child, a colleague at work? And they might really benefit from an introduction to you. And then would you give us a divine appointment to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's